folks, Dr. Tim Jordan here, and thanks so much for stopping by this podcast, Raising Daughters, where we talk every week about what's going on for girls today. We talk about some ideas, tips, tools to help you raise your daughters to become empowered, incredible women. A month or so about cyberbullying, and I thought I would talk today about a piece of that, because parents are always asking me this question. How do I know when my daughter is ready for, the, for getting a phone, and especially for social media? There's always a lot of angst, anxiety, worry that comes with it. Because there's so much pressure today for parents to, to cave in and give their kids phones and allow them on social media at earlier and earlier ages. And I get it. Get the pressure. Understand what it means to girls. I, I work with girls almost every day in my counseling practice, in my weekend retreat, summer camps, in my school programs, etc. So I, I know how important their devices are to them. I also know how important it is for them to communicate online, especially since they went through COVID. They really couldn't see people face-to-face. But what I thought I would talk about in this podcast is what can you look for to know your daughter is ready for social media? And I'm going to talk about one particular area, which is their social skills, their social readiness. It's been about an age because kids are so different and they mature differently. To me, it's more about are they showing you the signs that they're ready? And not just for a day or two, but for a long period of time, for, for weeks and months. They'll show you that they're mature enough, they can control their impulses, get the social, emotional, self-responsibility kind of skills and maturity that they're ready to to try and handle social media because it brings with it a whole onslaught of things, challenges they need to get through. Social readiness science before. I want to talk just for a minute, actually a few minutes, about the teenage brain and why the wiring of the teenage brains makes kids more susceptible to misusing their phones and misusing social media. The teen baseline level of dopamine is lower than it is for us, the adult. Thus, you'll see teens who seem like they're bored a lot. They get kind of numb sometimes. It takes work to get them excited. But once they get excited, the release of dopamine in their brains is higher in response to stimulating experiences than it is for ours as adults. And the neural circuits in their brains that utilize dopamine get activated more than the neural circuits in an adult. This enhanced dopamine release and the increased reward drive that the teenagers get, it causes them to gravitate towards thrills and risky behavior. And this gravitation towards thrills and risky behavior increases in the presence of their peers or when they believe others will be observing them. So in the old days, it was when we were in, in their presence, but now because of phones and social media, you can be anywhere and, and think that people are watching. That increases the level of dopamine that they get. It's also interesting to remember that during the adolescent years, middle school, high school, there's an increased interest in their relationship, friendship. It's so important. And they also become more susceptible to peer influence, which I'll talk about in a moment. It increases during the early teen years. It peaks when they're 14, 15 years of age. Being accepted into a group is so important for them. True for all of us, but it's even more important in those teen years. 
our brains have been wired for 150,000 years to want to belong to a group because if you're in a group, you have a much better chance of surviving. That drive is still in our brain, even though it's 2026. Adolescents are more distressed than adults when they get left out by their peer group. The part of our brain is called the right ventrolateral prefrontal cortex. And that part of the brain helps us cope with negative evaluations by peers. It helps by reducing stress. This brain region is still developing in teenagers. It's not fully developed yet, so they're much less effective at controlling the distress when they're being left out, when they're being made fun of, things like that. And that contributes to them engaging in more risky behaviors because they don't want to be left out. They're willing to do more than they normally would to try and fit in and to have a, to have a sense of belonging. Teenagers do have an awareness of the risks and the outcomes of dangerous situations and dangerous behaviors, but they tend to place more emphasis on the potential positive aspects of the experience. The thrill, the fun, the shared experience, the excitement you get from breaking rules. So they tend to minimize the risk. They tend to emphasize the positive. Now, brain changes make teens much more focused on the rewards of their peers and being included in, the, in their peer activities, like the thrill and the rush, and less concerned about the risk. Luckily, their brains mature in the teen years, and by the time girls are 18, 19, 20, their brains have pretty much um, come full circle. Not, not true for boys. The uh, adolescent brain, the male brain, doesn't really fully get integrated and formed until they're closer to their mid-20s. There's a growth spurt in their prefrontal cortex, which is the executive center of their brain that happens during the later teen years, or early 20s. There's pruning that goes on, letting go of the parts of the brain they're not using, enhancing the parts that they are using. Also, really importantly, there's a substance called myelin that coats our nerve fiber. And every time you do something, for instance, if you're out practicing your golf, if you're out playing tennis, every time you do that, or you're playing violin, every time you do that activity, the circuits that go to that part of the brain it has to do with making music or playing soccer or playing tennis. It adds a little bit of myelin to the nerve fibers. And what that does is it makes the conduction of the nerve fiber quicker. Muscle memory. That's so important. That increased myelin helps teens curb impulses because when they get some emotional thing that happens, what you want to happen is the signal goes from that emotional center right to their prefrontal cortex that can say, relax, it's okay. This has happened before you're going to get through this. The prefrontal cortex helps curb those impulses. But it's not fully developed in teenagers until they get more myelin and more maturation. And thus, they're more susceptible to doing stupid things and risky things. But a specific part of the brain called the reward set. But first, let's talk about the pleasure set. In 1953, uh, scientists planted electrodes in rat brain. And a part of the brain that they thought was uh, the pleasure set. And so they, what they did was they put this electrode in their brains, and then they, when they would stimulate that part, it caused, it caused the rats to be shocked. And what they found, surprisingly, was the rats would start to shock themselves more and more, with no signs of being satisfied. 
even though they were getting a negative experience, they're getting shocked, that part of the brain said more, 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 more. They thought they were stimulating the pleasure center, and which would make them feel good or happy, but they were giving them a shock. So they realized, right, this is not really the pleasure center. It's different. They did the same thing with humans in the studies back then. They implanted electrodes in the human brain in the part they thought was the pleasure center. Same kind of thing. They, they would, they would uh, stimulate that part of the brain and give, give them a shock. What they found was the average human shocked themselves an average of 40 times per minute. And then we get anxious if the scientists said, we're going to turn the current off. That self-stimulation, even though it was negative, it left them feeling anxious, not happy, but it also encouraged them to keep doing it, to seek more stimulation, even though it never brought them a good thing. So the scientists learned that that part of the brain that they were stimulating was not pleasure. It was something that they called the reward system. That's the brain's most primitive motivational system evolved to, to cause people to get to action and consumption. It was a survival thing. The area of the brain that they were stimulating was rewarding them with the promise of pleasure, but it wasn't pleasure they were receiving. That's the reward system. When the brain recognizes an opportunity for reward, and back in the primitive days, it was about food. Because we were walking around foraging, and sometimes we'd go days with nothing, and then all of a sudden we would see some food. We would see a, a, a bush of blackberry. And our brain wanted to tell us, go and get those things now. Eat it now because it may not be there tomorrow. If it's not there tomorrow, you may starve. So when our brains recognize an opportunity for reward, it releases dopamine, which tells the brain, pay attention to this. And what the dopamine does in our brain, it creates feelings of arousal. You're more alert, more awake. You're more captivated. We recognize the possibility of feeling good, and we're willing to work for that feeling. So the feeling we get when that center of our brain, the reward center, is stimulated, is it's not happiness, it's not satisfaction, it's not pleasure. What it does is it causes us to want to seek more. It creates a want, a craving, a desire, anticipation. The promise of that reward kept our prehistoric ancestors, it kept them hunting and gathering and working, seducing their mates, because if they did that, they had a much better chance to survive. Flood of dopamine to the, to the reward system. It marked new objects that we think will make us feel good. And it marks them as something that we need. It's critical to our survival. So it tends to hijack our attention and we become fixated on obtaining and repeating whatever it is that got triggered. It was like nature's trick to make sure we don't uh, starve to death because we're too lazy to pick berries or hunt in that moment. Very important to understand this when we're talking about teenagers and technology. So what technology does is it's the anticipa anticipation of a new message, a photo, a video that's going to make us laugh. That's what causes us to keep hitting the refresh button. Searching, searching, searching for a promise of a reward. That's why they call it a search engine. That search is like ratcheting the lever, being constant jolts of dopamine. Again, it does not make us feel happy. It makes us want to do it more. 
It creates craving, desire, wanting, and seeking. As an example, I've been, I don't do video games, never have. But I've talked to people who, who, have, uh, who have created video games, who sell video games, who are heads of companies of video games. And they say that they make the video games a little bit easier. To, so people are less likely to give up. There's a promise of the next level or the next big win. And it's the unpredictability of the scoring or advancing that keeps the dopamine neurons fired. And it's just as addictive as if you were taking drugs. Same system. Our reward system responds mostly to novelty variety. Thus, video games keep changing. New, 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 more, more, more. Better, 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 faster, more colors, more whatever. So we're driven to chase this pleasure at the cost of our well-being. We become the most risk-taking, impulsive, out-of-control versions of ourselves. That's what FOMO is about, the fear of missing out. It's also important to remember that when the reward center releases dopamine, it also sends a message to the, our brain's stress center, which causes the stress center to release stress hormones. Not only do you want to have that piece of chocolate cake, not only, not only do you want to look at look on TikTok or whatever, it makes you anxious as you anticipate the object of your desire. It's like, I need to get that. It feels like a life or death emergency. That's what that stress center of hormones does in those moments. It's a matter of survival. And I see that every weekend of my weekend retreats with girls, summer camps, because when they check in, I told you this before, at the, at the check-in table, one of the first questions is, where's your phone? And we have them handed over to their, their parent who brought them. And it's usually a shaky hand who's, who's handing off the phone to their parent. Because they're so used to having it. They're so used to, quote unquote, needing it. Because if I don't talk to my friends, if I miss out, bad things are going to happen. I need it. It's like a matter of survival. It's life or death. I need my phone. That's the background of our teens, teenagers' brains. Our technology sort of slips in there and is part of the issue. So the big question and the reason why we're here today is to talk for a few minutes about when are girls ready for technologies, and in particular, when are they ready for social media? I mentioned it at the beginning, but I'll say it again. It's not, in my mind, about an eight. It's not a formula. They turn six or eight or 12 or 14. And then they're ready. It's more about have they shown you socially, keeping their power, emotionally, their self-responsibility, their level of uh, impulse control and maturity. Have they shown you over time that they're ready? And so we're going to talk for the rest of this podcast about what they need to show you socially. I would tell you that they're ready that would allow them to earn the right to try. Let me give you about, about a handful of ways that they can show you socially. And by the way, I'll say this at the end, but I'm going to say it at the beginning. I would let your, your daughters know, these are the things I'm going to be looking for in your behavior. That's what's going to allow me or cause me to feel okay about letting you try like social media. It won't be because you turn 14. It won't be because you're starting high, high school. It won't be because all of your friends have social media. It'll be because you've shown me these uh, behaviors. What's your daughter's experience with drama, friendship drama? 
almost always the drama that happens between girls doesn't start online. It usually starts in the hallways of school, in the classrooms of school. Um, it starts at recess. It starts in gym class. It starts, uh, it starts during uh, problems that happen on a team, if they're on a team. But then, of course, they can carry it home with them, whatever's going on. And then it goes online, and then it gets spread everywhere. All so social media, I think, in general, often does not start the drama. But it certainly magnifies it quickly and it spreads it all over. Which is sad, I think, for our girl. Because home used to be our, our shelter from the storm. A place where you got overloaded at school, you were tired of the crowds, you just needed some alone, quiet time where you could just sort of veg out and, and let your brain rest. Hard to do that now because all of that stuff follows them home. And it's, there's no more quiet spaces unless they become really much in mind. So first and foremost, if she's wrapped up in all kinds of drama outside of social media, she gets on those sites, it's going to get a lot worse. The one thing that she can show you, earn the right to try it, is to show you that she has the ability to not get sucked up into the drama, not get sucked up into stuff with her friends, that she's not uh, one of the people who's gossiping and spreading rumors all the time. She can Stay out of that. She has the, the uh, maturity to not get sucked into it. And that sounds so easy to say. I know it's not easy to do. And, and, this is one of the most important readiness types. A lot of the trouble that comes online in the cyberbullying, which I talked about in a, in a podcast I did um, a few weeks ago, a lot of that stuff gets carried over, and that's where it starts. It's drama that, that creates. Um, a magnification of all the energy and the meanness and all that. By the way, that cyberbullying podcast came out on January 12th. So look for that um, on my website, wherever you get these podcasts. You can just go back um, several weeks, whatever it was, and, and listen to that. So if she's, is she doing a good job of staying out of Trump? Is she not getting sucked into all of her friends' squabble? And not adding to it. Sometimes your girls aren't the ones who start things, but then you'll see messages online where, where they start to say mean things. They start piling on to somebody. So they become part of the problem. Does your daughter have a history of, of being able to take breaks from, from her friends and from uh, things? Is she in balance? Is she, uh, is she spending enough time with her family, enough alone time? There's some kids who just they need to be talking to their friends nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. And sometimes that's, that's not healthy. It's usually not need to have time themselves. I also think it's important to talk about with your daughters. Do they have friends in different groups? Some of the healthiest girls I know and the most mature ones, the ones who can kind of drift from group to group. So if, if one friend group that they like to hang with all of a sudden has a whole bunch of drama and, and stuff going on, what they can do to stay out of it is just, you know, mosey over to another lunch table for a few days until those people settle down. Are they able to, you know, set good boundaries with their friends? A lot of girls get right, their friends who are arguing, their two best friends are arguing, and those friends try and get them into the middle of it. Do they have the ability to set a boundary and say, I'm not willing to take sides. I love both of you. I don't want to get in the middle of this. I think you guys need to handle it. That's one of the first 
How does she handle friendship drama? Another social readiness sign is, can she handle her conflict directly and peacefully? Female brain is wired to avoid conflict and maintain social harmony. Because back in our prehistoric days, as I talked about earlier, if, if a girl or a woman was connected, she belonged to a group, meant she had a much better chance, her and her offspring, surviving. If she said something stupid, got into a fight, got kicked out of the tribe, and was alone, oftentimes meant that's the same feeling girls tell me all the time. <clears throat> if they get left out of their group, is that it feels like a death. Which is why often, so many times they have they grow up with all kinds of stuff in their friend group. They get abused, they get used, and they put up with it because they're so afraid of losing a friend or the group. Because if they do, their worry is I'll be alone, and being alone is like death. So, does your daughter, has she shown you the ability, has she shown you that she has the courage and the maturity? If there's something going on with her friends that she doesn't like, does she have the maturity and the courage to go and confront them? Let them know how she feels and what she wants, and to set down the ability to tell her friends about her need, listen to her friends' needs also, and to create win-win solutions. So critical. That's, that's important for every kid, no matter what, but especially if they're wanting to get online. Because when they don't handle their conflict, feelings still are inside of them. And even if they kind of, quote-unquote, move on, and they... And they talk to each other and they say things like, just kidding or no big deal. And they kind of give them that half smile. Okay, fine, let's move on. They don't move on emotionally often. And those emotions are still inside them and they fester. What happens because of all those festering emotions and unresolved issues is more drama. More eye-rolling, more uh, avoiding people and just creating more stuff. So it's so important that she can learn handle things directly, settle things, and move on. And also have the courage to hold her friends accountable to whatever it is that they agree. I think I've told you the story before in one of these podcasts, but I'll repeat it again. My wife Ann and I were working in a school, the class of sixth grade girls, just oh, a while back, like eight or ten years ago. And we were teaching them about resolving conflict peacefully, we we told them the steps, and we asked if anybody wanted to resolve a real conflict. Teachers oftentimes cringe, like, oh, my God, these, these girls will never do this in front of everybody else. A lot of you listening to this probably have the same fear. In my experience of, of, of my Strong Girls, Strong World program, which I've been doing in schools for 20, 25 years, we have never had a classroom where someone didn't volunteer and say, I'd like to handle something. And that girl calls somebody and says, hey, would you mind? in the middle so we can work this out and almost always they say and then we we teach them how to listen to each other work it out these i'll never forget this one this one time uh, this girl said in this sixth grade that at lunch that day it was their table's turn after lunch to clean off all of the table and her their little table was doing that except for this one girl and so the girl who i called her out um went to her at the lunchroom and said, hey, it's our, it's our, our day to clean off the tables. You need to help out. And the girl kind of rolled her eyes at her and kind of walked off. So in the classroom later on that day, when we were doing this, this role play, she told her this. 
And the other girl listened and mirrored her. And the girl who, who um, was calling her out felt really sheep. I forget. She was kind of like acting like, are you okay? Are you mad at me? She was so worried about holding someone accountable because she felt like it was a mean girl thing and she was being mean. But what happened was they talked it out and the girl apologized. She made a commitment to her. It was done. They hugged back in the start. So they need permission for girls to confront people in a peaceful way, but a firm way. Set boundaries. Let people know your needs. Work things out. Otherwise, it's going to end up being more drama. It also means that girls need to understand the difference between being passive, aggressive, or assertive. You role plays at my summer camps and retreats all the time. We'll have the girls, we'll give them situations and say, show us how you would handle this in a passive way, an aggressive way, and assertive And they love role playing. Some of the girls oftentimes love it. Not every girl, but most of them do. And it's so interesting that when they just set a boundary with someone and they're just being assertive, they think it's mean. They think they're being aggressive. They think the good girl conditioning that's told them that, you know, that, that you shouldn't do that. So they need to grow out of that. We need to help them to know that it's, it's good to be assertive. It's good to set boundaries and take care of yourself. If you don't, you don't handle those, those, those issues with your friends. It's going to end up being more drama and it's going to worsen on social media. The third thing to look for socially in your dog. Do they have the ability, do they have a history of surrounding themselves with healthy friends? There's a part of our brains called mirror neuron. And that part of the brain uh, means that our individual choices are very powerfully shaped by what other people are doing, thinking, wanting, what we think they want us to do. Those mirror neurons keep track of what other people are thinking and feeling and doing. Again, we're hardwired to connect. Alone meant death. So those mirror neurons was, were developed as a way to try and keep us in with the group, keep us having a sense of belonging. And I think it's especially true in those insecure middle school, high school years. The girls are constantly, because of their mirror neurons, comparing themselves to everybody in the group. Am I fitting in? Am I doing the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? Am I hanging out with the right people? Am I dressing the way I should be dressed? Am I doing anything that might get me thrown out of the group? Now, they're not thinking this, but it's been wired in. Which is why a lot of times you'll see girls giving up parts of themselves to fit in. And with social media, today, they can compare themselves not just to their classmates in the hallways of school, they can compare themselves and do with everybody on the planet. Which means that a lot of girls walk around with I'm not good enough story because of that. Because they'll always find somebody who is smarter, prettier, cooler, hotter, more popular, more whatever. Those mirror neurons, by the way, are also watching and they notice if, if people are doing things like smoking, uh, drinking, alcohol. And when you're around people, who are doing those, those temptations and, and giving in, because of our mirror neurons, they're wanting us to do the same thing. We catch temptation when we see other people giving in. If you see people breaking rules, if you see people cheating at school, we're more likely to do it. The same thing goes with drama, 
and bullying and cyberbullying. Thus, with our teens' immature brains, they're, they're at risk for doing those kinds of things just kidding. I think we all are susceptible, but teens are more because their brains are less mature. By the way, emotions are also contagious. If you hang out with a lot of depressed friends, friends who are anxious, or friends who have suicidal thoughts, etc., it makes it hard not to be anxious or stressed out. Stress is a huge contagious quote-unquote disease because when girls are going through test periods, final exam time, because everybody else around them is so stressed out, then they it makes them feel like they're abnormal if they're not, and so our mirror neurons say you should be stressed out too. It makes it harder to take care of their own need and not get drained. So they need to show you that they're aware of those mirror neurons, and you can talk to them about them. And that and even though it's they're probably going to be comparing themselves sometimes to people, they don't get caught up to the point where they're giving up themselves are making bad choices, are doing risky things just to fit. I think if she's if she has done a good job of having some quote unquote healthy friends who in general are making good choices, it makes it easier for her to stay in. Another thing to look for as far as your social right or your daughter's social as she struggled to make our key friends historic past history of being excluded or kicked out of a group. And the reason it becomes so important to know that is because, as I've talked about in previous podcasts, when girls experience negative things like that, it always go inside their head. They start asking themselves questions like, why are my friends leaving me out? Why don't people call me? Why can't I make friends? And they answer the question in their heads with their own private logic that says things like, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not cool enough. Maybe I'm not pretty enough. Maybe I'm awkward. Maybe I'm annoying. Maybe I'm weird. Maybe I just don't fit. And when I see girls who, who are struggling a lot of times in my office socially, I always want them to become aware of what have you made of past experience. Because if you don't help them to reframe those unhealthy beliefs, they carry them into their friendships and it affects their ability to take They're much more vulnerable for not being themselves, for doing things and giving up parts of themselves to fit in. They'll probably have less courage to set boundaries. They're at much more of a risk of being abused or used because they're so worried about losing friends because they've lost them before. They don't want it to happen again. They don't want to be alone. And so oftentimes they act in ways that they don't. It's also good to know, is she being bullied currently, or has she been bullied in the past? Because if she has been, again, she may have some of those unhealthy beliefs that might make her more susceptible to being a target and not taking herself. Does she have a best friend? Does she have a group? That doesn't be a huge group, but just a friend or two, or at least because if you're walking around the hallways of school, especially if you're vulnerable because of some past, you're much more vulnerable to being a target again without the protection of a group around. That's true in person, and it's really true online. So if she's got a history of being victimized, if she's got a history of being a target, been bullied, then 
there's a good chance that it may happen again online on those social media unless she starts to refigure things out for herself, reframe things, and have more confidence. Listen again to that, that cyberbullying podcast that came out on January 12, 2023. I spent a whole lot of time talking about this. Last way to look for whether or not your daughter is ready socially for social media. Does she know how to be alone without being lonely? The writer Paul Tillich said one time that loneliness is the pain of being alone. Solitude is the glory of being alone. Girls have a hard time these days knowing how to be alone and quiet without freaking out or feeling lonely. It's so easy with their phones and their iPads and their and when they get on social media, their social media, it's so easy to, to always be with people. And, you know, the crowds distract us from our inward journey. It distracts girls from reflection. They're plugged in constantly and they're outward focused constantly. Girls who constantly are, are checking their texts and checking Instagram and social media, those kinds of girls tend to not hear from themselves very often. They probably haven't heard from themselves. That's on they need a rich inner world to be able to figure things out, process their emotions, take care of themselves, what they need, and to make decisions. Our girls, because of devices and eventually social media, they become preoccupied with what's going on out there instead of what's going on inside of them. When you're alone, your thoughts and feelings are more oriented inward. You can slow down and get quiet and take care of That's not what the culture is teaching your daughter. The current cultural mantra is the more people and the more inf information you can connect with and the faster and the more intensely you can do that, the better. More, 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 faster, faster, faster. And girls have lost unreachability. It was easy to be unreachable in the past. You went home and you went to your room and you closed your door and that was it. So you went back to school or went out in the street in the neighborhood. So has your daughter learned to cultivate and to use and to enjoy their quiet home? Because if not, then they're going to be susceptible and vulnerable to being on their device and social media too much. Because when they turn it off, they get and they're bored quickly, and they get lonely quickly, and then it, they get that urge to do it again because of everything I talked about at the beginning, because of that reward center, and so easy to become addicted. And as all of you probably know, the people who make up the games and the TikTok and the social media things, they want all of us to be addicted. They make all those things addictive. And it's hard for, for our teenagers to not get stuck into mentioned at the beginning that I don't think it's about an age to know when your daughters are ready for social media. But in my experience, if you twisted my arm, I would say I don't think girls in grade school and middle school are ready. And I think if girls are in high school, they would still need to show me a history of 
running this deal. Today we talked about the social part. I'm going to talk in some future podcasts about their emotional life, talk about their, their level of self-responsibility and maturity. We'll talk about whether or not they can keep their power. Those are other things to look for. I don't want to make the podcast too long. So I know that things I'm laying out for your daughters to show you, earn, I know it's not easy. No girl in middle school or high school is going to be perfect and not make mistakes. And they're not going to always live out all of these qualities because they're a work in progress and their brains are a work in progress. I need, I think you need to let them know what you're going to be looking for socially. As one part of letting you know that she's mature enough to handle what social media is going to throw at her with her social situation. You can practice skills at home, teaching her how to resolve conflicts with you between siblings, the ability to stand up for themselves, speak for themselves, set boundaries, not allow words and teasing to hurt them. You can teach them at home about the importance of self-care, about learning how to have quiet alone time, what she can do in that time, whether it's reading or journaling or writing stories or writing poetry or writing songs or playing music or playing an instrument or doing art things. Those are all ways that she can learn how to quiet down, slow herself down. Uh, sometimes when I've had some events at our house with our camp, when they come over, we usually have a basket right by their front door, and they put their phones. And they agree to do that because they know, because they've been to our camps, that they want to be fully present with each other. If they're sitting around and somebody whips out their phone and starts looking at a TikTok video, all of a sudden, boop, everybody's got their phone out and they're not connected. So tell your daughter, she can show you with those kinds of behaviors and using skills at home with resolving conflict directly and setting boundaries, not letting siblings' words hurt them, etc. She can show you with that kind of behavior that she's, that she's learning how to take care of herself and so she might be ready for the next level of media. And again, I don't think you can expect that. But I think that she needs to show you that she can do pretty well with all these things I just mentioned. So again, I'll describe other readiness signs, other um, areas like emotions, feeling their emotions, self-responsibility, maturity, all that stuff in, uh, in future podcasts. So look for those in the near future. Allowing your daughter to have social media until she's earned it. Let her know that. Let her know what you're looking for. I would acknowledge her when you see those things in her. And she'll grow into it. And she'll grow into the readiness for it. Then when she does get it, she'll probably use it wisely. Or more wisely than she would have if she got it. As always, thanks so much for stopping by here for these podcasts. Always very grateful when you send them on to friends, people you know, what, what parent does not need to have some more information about when do I start kids on phones and social media. This would be a good one to spread around. It's also a good one, I think, to listen to with your daughter. And then talk about what we just talked about with her. So she's very clear about this is what I need to do. The ball is in her court. If I can step up and show my parents with my behavior these readiness signs, I'll have earned the right to fight.
Thanks so much for stopping by. I'll see you back here in a week. So I um, look on my website. I, I put out a online course for parents about understanding your daughter's emotions and their friendship. There's a lot of really good information on there. I think that would help you also understanding about these writing the signs emotionally and socially. So check that out. I'll see you in a week. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.